Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. Good to see you. Thanks for coming up. Believe it or not, once upon a time, I was a child just like you. And believe it or not, turn around, so were they. When we are children, a lot of times the first way that we learn God's word is through the stories of the Bible. And there's a lot of them. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah's Ark, Abraham, right? We hear lots and lots of stories, and all those stories have people in them, real people who actually lived a long, long time ago. I remember when I was a kid, sometimes I'd hear those stories and I'd think to myself, boy, these are awesome people. I want to be just like them when I grow up. But then you learn more about the people and you start to realize That's actually not why God tells us the stories about these people. It's not that he wants us to be just like them because they're all sinful. Every single one of them. Today we heard a story about a man named Joseph and we heard the end of the story about Joseph. The story begins with a man who had 12 sons. That's a lot of sons, isn't it? So that means Joseph had how many brothers? If there's 12 sons, 11 brothers. Can you imagine if you had 11 brothers? Well, it turns out that their father loved Joseph more than he loved the rest of the 11. How do you think that made the 11 feel? They didn't like Joseph very much. And one day they came up with a plan to get rid of Joseph. They sold him into slavery to people who were traveling to Egypt. And then they took his beautiful coat and they killed a lamb and they poured the lamb's blood all over the coat and brought it to their father and said, Dad, a wild animal ate Joseph. They sold their brother into slavery to get rid of him. They lied to their father and told him he was dead when he really wasn't. How would you feel if you were Joseph about those 11 brothers? Would you love them? That'd be kind of hard, wouldn't it? And yet, as you heard in the story, God used it for good. God is the one who sent Joseph down to Egypt. God is the one who gave Joseph the amazing ability to interpret dreams. And God sent a dream to the Pharaoh and told him that a famine was coming Joseph interpreted the dream and Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of making sure that there was enough food during the famine. And in so doing, there was enough food for the 11 brothers and for Joseph's father, Jacob, and for all of their descendants. God used it for good. Joseph forgave his brothers. Today, we're going to focus on what it looks like to love our enemies to love people who don't love us. The world around us would say, it's okay not to love people who don't love you. Jesus says something different. He says, my love for you is so great, I want you to love even your enemies. Today we're going to see why that's so important. As we focus once again on who Jesus is and what his love for us is like. Today we're going to try to better understand why the cross of Jesus makes us love others the way we do. Let's pray. 
Dear Jesus, on your cross, you showed the whole world the most remarkable kind of love. You cared for us and showed no care for yourself. You suffered so that we could be forgiven. You suffered so that we could be with you forever in paradise. Help us to better understand what your love for us means. Help us to show love like that to those in our lives, even to our enemies. In your name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned before the service, we're going to begin a little earlier than what's printed in your worship folder. We'll begin at verse 20 in Luke chapter 6. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, well, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. <clears throat> Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
We are going to talk about some hard things this morning. I'm not sure you're going to want to listen to everything that I have to say. But it's good for you to hear. Jesus' sermon began with the words, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. A state of blessedness for you who are poor. That's a concept that doesn't compute with us. I don't know anyone who would say, I want to be much poorer than I am now. And yet God says, a state of blessedness for the poor. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. There's something in the verb tenses here that just needs to sink home. In the present, hungry. Don't worry about it. A state of blessedness for you. You will be satisfied in the future and forever into the future. A state of blessedness for you. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Who would prefer to be sad now? I don't know anyone. And yet God says a state of blessedness for you who weep and mourn now. Joy is coming for you. And then he builds on that. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of me, the son of man. You get rejected for being a Christian. You suffer for being a Christian. You're mocked for being a Christian. Jesus says, jump for joy. Jump for joy. This is the best thing that could happen to you. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. And if you're looking at the track record, this is how the true prophets were treated. So if you're being treated this way, that's a good sign. Jump for joy when you're persecuted for being a Christian. And then come the woes. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will weep and mourn. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you in the present, for that is how the ancestors treated the false prophets. As a comfortable, well-fed man in his mid-30s, those woes hit hard. As someone who likes to be entertained, who's always looking at the, the latest, greatest subscription combo plan, these words hit hard. As someone who often feeds on compliments, these words hit hard. Same thing with the tenses. Those who are rich now, who are well-fed now, who laugh now, who are complimented much now, will have already received comfort in the future, meaning no longer comforted and no longer comforted forever will go hungry, fed in the past, will mourn and weep and forever into the future, happiness in the past, 
compliments in the past, suffering forever. Woe, 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 woe. Are you listening? I sure hope so. To those of you who are listening, Jesus says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. My little ones aren't here today. Uh, My wife is on her way back from a pastor's wives retreat and the little ones are getting over some illness and the residual coughs are still there. So rather than a lot of head turning to see what's going on with those sick pastor's kids in the back row, they're, they're live streaming. Hope you guys are still there. Um, he, most of you know Freddie. He's going to be three soon. He's recently decided that he's going to interact with commands differently than he had to this point. You give him a command, he immediately rephrases it word for word with a question mark. As if there's something completely crazy about what you've just asked. And it hit me this morning. I preached this sermon on Thursday. I didn't, didn't reference this, but this is exactly the point. This is exactly what is happening here. Listen to, to Freddie in your minds re- rephrasing these. Love your enemies. Love my enemies? Yes. Your enemies. Love them. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate me? Yeah. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Who curse me? Yes. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. For those who mistreat me. Yes. Pray for those who mistreat you. What does it look like to love your enemies? Well, there's action, isn't there? This is not an affection thing. God is not saying that you must feel this great feeling of affection like that young teenager in love. You must feel this way toward your enemy. That's not what God is saying. He's saying you must love them. Well, what does that look like? Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So, of course, this begs the question, well, who are your enemies? Key word, your I'm going to steal from the easy political picture for a moment. Uh, Political parties in our country have perhaps never been as divided as they are. So you are all probably in one camp or the other, which means you have an opposition party. Are the opposition leaders your enemies? Well, do you ever get to interact with them? Do you ever get to show anything toward them? If not, that's not what God is talking about here. Your enemies are people that are actually opposed to you. Singular. Every single one of you, singular. We all have them. 
Well, who are they for you? What does it look like to love your former brother-in-law who, treated, who cheated on your sister? What does it look like to show love to the teenage girl who bullied your child in school? What does that look like? Have you been willing to do good to those people? To bless them? Do you pray for those kinds of people? You walk through the grocery store and the masks made it easy for a while, but then you see a face and you immediately plot your plan to evade them so that you do not come into contact with them? The world says that it is okay to remove yourself from people who are your enemies. Ghost them, right? As the kids say, ghost them. Just cut them off. Like, just act like they don't exist. Find every way possible to remove that person from your life so that you never, ever, ever have to interact with them again. That's not love. That's the opposite of what Jesus here is encouraging us to do. It's quite possible you might have come in here today thinking that you're doing pretty good at the loving thing. Some of you are caring for elderly parents. You make great sacrifices to care for mom, for dad in their old age. Some of you are caring for little children. You give up great amounts of time and energy, lots of selflessness to care for those. Many of you are married or in a relationship. You, you, you very much care for your spouse. Others here have wonderful friends. You, you keep in touch with them. You are making sure to check in on them regularly. You love well. Jesus kind of blows that up, doesn't he? If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. This translation says, what credit is that to you? What credit is that to you? What credit is that to you? You know what the word credit is in Greek? Charis. It's the standard word for grace. What grace is that to you if you love those who love you? What grace is that to you if you do good to those who do good to you? What grace is that to you if you lend to people that are going to pay you back? Jesus' point is that if you're not willing to love your enemies... If you're not willing to to lend to somebody who's probably not going to pay back to you, then you don't get it. You don't understand the reward that is waiting for you. More than that, you have written off God's grace. It is of no value to you. 
None. And you say, none? And Jesus says, none. It is of no value to you if you don't think it's worth it to love an enemy, to lend to someone who won't repay you. Then you don't understand how great your reward is. So how great is that reward? Well, back to those Beatitudes. Yours is the kingdom of God. Notice that one's present tense, now and forever. You will be satisfied for eternity, never again unsatisfied, ever. Can you imagine existence without a lack of satisfaction? An existence where you are perfectly satisfied forever and ever and ever. Can you imagine that? Try, because it's real and it's yours. You will laugh. You will no longer be seeking the the latest, greatest bundle package to get the most bang for your buck with the streaming services. You will no longer be looking for movies that entertain for that next comedian who's clean and yet funny, for books that make the time fly by. You won't be worrying about those kinds of things because you will be in a constant state of perfect joy. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Well, how do we know that that reward is for people like us who just got pummeled by Jesus for about 10 minutes? How do we know it's for us? Well, first of all, you sung it in the psalm today, didn't you? And Jesus was certainly building on that. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he, can you say it with me? Removed their transgressions. Removed our transgressions from us. And down towards the end of our text, we we hear this beautiful line, verse 35. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because the Most High is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Who are the ungrateful and the wicked? Good job, Harper. Everybody raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Throw them up. Join Harper. We are the ungrateful and the wicked. That's us. We're the ones who trample on God's grace day after day, who don't understand how great his love is for us, who don't reflect it and show how ungrateful we are, how wicked we are, and yet God is kind to us. How kind? He sent the teacher of this message, the preacher of this sermon, not me. How do you preach on Jesus' sermon? Get out of here. He sent the preacher of this sermon to do perfectly what he demands of us. And how did Jesus perfectly love his enemy? You need go no further than the nails being driven in. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, said your Savior about his enemies. He prayed for them. 
The Son of God perfectly loved his enemies. He perfectly did good to his enemies. He perfectly blessed his enemies and he perfectly prayed for his enemies because we don't. And it's that perfect Savior who was offered on the cross as a sacrifice so that Psalm 103 is true. Yes, he has removed your transgressions as far from you as the east is from the west. They are gone. It's like this illogical banker who lends his own perfection to people with the worst credit imaginable, people who will never, ever, ever be able to pay him back. That's what our God has done to us. He has removed our sin and credited Jesus' perfect life to us. We cannot repay him, and he does not ask us to love our enemies so that we could repay him. No. This is the only response that makes sense for people who have been forgiven and credited the perfect life of Jesus. This is how the world knows who we are. We're different from them. We're different from them. We define things differently. We call things that they call bad blessings. And we call things that they call good, ah, bad, whoa, stay away. When we live this way, the world knows exactly who we are. As Martin Luther once said, they know that we are Christ's, with the apostrophe and without. We are Christ's with the apostrophe. We belong to him. We are Christ's without the apostrophe. Little Christ's going out into the world, loving as he has loved us, giving the world a taste of what the Father's great love for them is really like. You and I are surrounded by enemies. We always will be on this side of eternity. And they will continue to attack. Let them. And love them just as your Father loves you. Amen.